around here. Captain! Signatures detected. Shield up. Signatures detected. Context Southeast Command. What's happening? Context Southeast Command. Delay that order. Context Southeast Command. This is the captain. Context Southeast Command. Get out of my chair. Chair, 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 chair. We have engaged the Klingons. Klingons. Welcome to The Greatest Discovery, a Star Trek Discovery review podcast from the creators of The Greatest Generation. I'm Ben Harrison. And I'm sinus-infected Adam Pranica. Oh, Adam. Now I'm the sick one. Look at me. (laughs) Uh, You're also the East Coast one this time. Now I'm on the West Coast. Look at me. (laughs) Yeah, how does it feel to be doing early morning Trek for once? Yeah, we usually record these right after we watch the program, but uh, because of the slings and arrows of reality, this time we are recording the morning after, and uh, I'm, uh, I had to look my wife in the eye and explain that I was getting up before 7 o'clock to record a Star Trek podcast. <laughs> the indignities just keep on coming, Ben. I'm in a bed and breakfast in Waterbury, Vermont. Uh, So far, I haven't had to have any (laughs) tough discussions over breakfast about why exactly I've had to go back to the room. I hope I'm sounding okay, Ben. I I took a suburban speedball about 20 minutes ago, hoping to get through this. Do you know what a suburban speedball is? What is that, Dayquil? It's behind-the-counter Sudafed, the 240-milligram version. A large coffee and an emodium. Suburban speedball. There you go. <laughs> okay. Uh, shall, we, shall we get into the app? Let's do it, Ben. Let's see if I can pronounce the name of this episode correctly. It's season one, episode six of Star Trek Discovery. Lethe. We have engaged the Klingons. 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 Those Klingons. What the hell is going on on this ship? Haven't the slightest idea. This is an episode that does not start with pulling out of a eyeball or zoomed super close on something, Adam. It's a very different tone in this episode. It starts on Coruscant, I'm assuming, uh, where Ambassador Sarek is boarding a shuttlecraft, which is now consistently the most dangerous thing anybody ever does in this show. Uh, He's got a... He's got a little bull cut buddy who's gonna who's gonna fly him to a secret mission, and the mission is so secret he can't even tell his bull cut buddy what they're up to. These shuttles are so dangerous that I think like you should extremely vet whoever it is on board with you. Just out of an abundance of caution, I would I would probably keep about a mile distance between myself and a shuttle at any time if i had the option yeah but yeah they are off to a super secret mission that's our first half of our cold open our second half of our cold open is that tilly is uh has decided to fully embrace friendship with michael burnham and is using her for i guess i guess they have some kind of like command training program that tilly is Cadet Tilly is interested in taking part in, and uh, Michael Burnham, having flown through it with colors, uh, is uh, is like imparting some wisdom about how to do it. And I guess the uh, the main qualification is how fast of a runner you are. I was going to say, yeah, because because uh, Tilly and Michael are running, I I was gripped with the sadness of knowing that I'd never be a Starfleet captain because I do not like the <laughs> running at all. You get your fun disco shirts here for the first time. That's great. I put this up on Twitter or Facebook or something last week when they revealed that these t-shirts were going to be a thing that um, we had strongly considered calling this show Panic at the at the Discovery. Mm-hmm. I kind of wish we had done that now. Not that I really know what Panic at the Disco's music sounds like. <laughs> That's just it. It was my fault. I vetoed that. One of the only vetoes we'll get on this new show. <laughs> uh, that's not the only training that's going down in this episode, though, Adam. Lorca and his new friend, Ash Tyler, the, uh, his co-escapee from the Klingon prison ship, are doing some holodeck paintball. This looks like so much fun. They've really video gamed up what the experience of being on the holodeck is like in this show. These guys, if you've ever been paintballing before, 
are the guys who annoy everyone else going to paintball just to have a good time. Like they are doing coordinated attacks. They're going high low on people. Yeah. Like you do not want to be <laughs> a 10 year old playing paintball with these two guys. Because they just won't make it fun for Right. You. You're at a birthday party. They're doing league training. Right, right. So at the end of this session, Ash Tyler does that thing where he is a, he's like too nice to his boss. He uh, he cooks the books on the number of kills he has. And yeah, his, he jukes the stats. His gun proves him to be a liar. He's bested the captain by 10 kills or something, and... Uh, and the captain really rebukes this this action. Don't apologize for excellence. He's like here basically to crown Ash Tyler as the new security chief because Landry got torn the fuck up by that by the uh by the ripper. And uh <laughs> and despite this, Lorca is like storming out of the room and barreling down the hall before like really like confirming what he's saying. And so Ash Tyler has, is forced to kind of like scamper after him and go like, are you giving me a promotion? I'm just uh, double checking. Yeah, like kindness as as given by Lorca so far is just like the the short, the fewest amount of words possible to confer a promotion or any kind of trust in someone. He's really like, uh, he's like detached dad to his yeah. crew. And they are just aching for any sort of recognition or affection from him. And it's really working uh, in his favor. He's playing them like fiddles by denying his emotional availability. <laughs> and uh, yeah, so Ash Tyler... Uh, Gets a shiny new job. Did did Lorca sound a little bit more drawly to you? Like he had, he kind of, kind of had like more more like uh, military drawl in his voice to me in this episode. Yeah, I feel like that. He's he's got a little bit of bumpkin in him, doesn't he? Just a little bit. Yeah, like it. it like in other episodes, it's been like I have. I have extremely large amount of latitude to fight this war the way I see fit. And this episode, it's like, I have extremely large latitude to fight this war the way I see fit. He's the last Duke brother. <laughs> He's running around jumping the Discovery over <laughs> over crevasses. I, I wonder how that happens. Like, this actor is presumably you know, doing about as much shooting as everybody else, the character seems to drift a little bit to me. I mean, I wonder if it's a choice. Like, is is Captain Lorca, like, wearing masks and the choice is that he's not that great at wearing masks? Like, he, it, like some of his vulnerabilities are, are on display in this episode that haven't been before. So I wonder if that is part of it. Yeah, I mean, that's... So that's one of the main things happening in this episode is the idea that maybe Lorca isn't who he says he is and his pattern of weird behavior is starting to raise some eyebrows uh, among the people who know him best. Raise some perfectly quaffed eyebrows <laughs> under a very severe bob. So where is the ambassador right now? Well, back on Sarek's shuttlecraft, Bullcut Magoo is... Uh, doing some uh, some intravenous drugs that make his skin glow. And uh, Sarek realizes that this guy is up to no good. Yeah, it's a version of monkish immolation that is super explosive. Like, Sarek spends a long time announcing that things are not going as he expected. Our course has changed. We have not dropped out of warp. None of this looks right. You've injected explosives into your, into your veins. You're not a good guy you are a bad guy yeah i mean what appears clear at this point by virtue of this guy's monologue is that there are fanatics on both sides or on on many more sides than just the klingon side right like this guy right. after injecting is like you know i'm hey guess what i'm really down with racial priority too uh and i think it's pretty <laughs> messed up that you keep uh adopting kids and turning them into vulcans and then expecting that they will get into any college that that anyone else could get to like this is a guy yeah this is a guy who was probably uh he had pretty good sat scores did not get into his first college and has a real problem with 
with the admissions process post Sarek. Yeah, he's that he's that that girl in Texas that tried to sue on the basis of uh of racial profiling or whatever. Right, exactly. <laughs> As this is going down, uh Tilly and and uh and Michael Burnham are in the mess hall grabbing some post jog eats and they have the most obnoxious conversation I've ever seen in the history of Star Trek. Computer, add salsa. Computer, add roasted tomato salsa. Cooked tomatoes are a great source of lycopene. Yeah, Michael's breakfast shaming her. Like, I, I, I don't know who wrote this episode, but I never want to eat a meal with them. They seem really obnoxious. I thought you'd be all about this breakfast, given that it is a, it is a warm burrito and not a cold wrap. No, I don't... I, like. Personally, don't cotton to breakfast burritos much. I don't have a problem with them, but it's not my, it's not my go-to. You're more of a Beverly and Picard-style coffee and pastry person. What I really hate is an egg white anything. Mm. Like that is that is madness to me. <laughs> and I also hate that they make the computer like have the same opinion as Michael Burnham about what is healthy and good. Like this writer really needs to get over their shit. Like, my dad always thinks he has the new health thing figured out, has ch- taken some extreme step to elim- like radically eliminate hot water from his <laughs> diet or something like that, you know? Yeah. And, uh, and it's just because, like, it's the last book he read. And I don't know. I'm just triggered by this scene in a big way. One thing that I noticed about this scene is how nice the computers are in their interactions with people. At some point, Ben, they got rid of this mode of computing where computer voice is just flat and not emotional and not encouraging but these these breakfast computers are are really nice and they really want you to have a great day clearly somebody that i am the ancestor of got stationed on a starship and when the computer got loquacious about the healthiness of one of their food choices just you know took an elbow and dropped it into the screen right they're like, eh, maybe we should make the computer a little bit more perfunctory. <laughs> By the way, I don't know if we've talked about this on the show, but I, maybe we have. Like, they, they made a big deal about Majel Barrett being the voice of the computer on this, and she totally isn't. No, not yet. There, there must be an upgrade to the software coming. Now located in Holodeck Area 4J. They take a seat with newly minted security chief Ash Tyler, and uh, as they begin to shake hands michael burnham has a bad reaction yeah i thought ash was hurting her for a moment in this scene yeah like he had some like i mean there's been speculation online that ash tyler is fuck in disguise have you seen this that's a pretty amazing disguise if so i feel like they can change your loaf but i don't know if they can change how tall and smart you are (laughs) you know if you can do plastic surgery to the degree that you can't tell that a guy was previously Klingon. Previously Klingon and previously dumb. Like yeah. that was that's the other thing about Vok is that he's dumb. The the Scooby Dooification of every character on the show could be possible. And I think it's just madness at that point. Michael has a bit of an attack and she goes down in the mess hall. Uh nobody nobody calls to see if anybody has a uh like Knows the Katra Heimlich or anything. <laughs> it's just people pressing on her face over and over again. <laughs> um, but she is, uh, she's like in communication with Sarek. This is the same thing that happened when she was in the, in the, uh, in the brig on the Shenzhou. Sarek is like reaching out to her via Katra. <laughs> and, um, it seems like kind of unintentional on his part, but, uh, this this all centers around this memory of him telling Michael Burnham that she did not get into the Vulcan Expeditionary Group, which is, I guess, the racially pure version of Starfleet that the Vulcans have. <laughs> yeah, that, that doesn't sound dark at all. <laughs> yeah, it's like the uh, Vulcan Hitler youth, more or less. It sounds like she might have been better off. Yeah, like... Like what is going? Do does everybody have this? Like, do, does the do the humans have a racially pure uh, military slash exploration 
thing also, or is it just Starfleet for them? It's interesting because the characters we we really like have rejected this. Like, Spock didn't want to go, and Michael didn't get the chance to. Like, it can't be that great. The Vulcans have this exceptionalism where if you're not Vulcan, you're lesser than. And Sarek is a big... Uh, a big believer that that humans are equal to and that being Vulcan is a is a way of being instead of a uh, racially connoted thing. Humiliation is a human emotion. I'm sorry, Sarek. She wakes up in Six Bay and uh, and everybody's there and and they're like, "What happened?" And uh, she's like, "Well, I'm not sick. I was just doing some." Um, some telepathic communication with my buddy Sarek. And he's in big trouble, guys. Yeah, and it appears as though the ship has some time, right? They're they're not they're not going on their bombing raids at this point. They're just sort of laying back in the cut. And so they they have time to go on this rescue mission. It's weird, like the guy that blew himself up we get to we start in this six space scene to start to think that maybe he has something to do with the same people that blew up Michael Burnham's school when she was a kid. Right. And I guess I was thinking of those of uh, the school blowing up scene that we have seen and her parents getting killed as the same thing. But I guess it's two distinct attacks where uh, for one of them, like this was when she was on Vulcan after her family died, that she was being raised by Sarek and there were a bunch of Vulcans that really hated the idea of human Vulcan school integration. And so they decided to explode the school right. as their reaction to that. Right. Was this a, <laughs> this is a real Brown v. Board of Education situation, right? Yeah. And uh, they're referred to several times in the episode as logic extremists. And right. I feel like if you're a logic extremist, maybe what you want to do is take out the specific child that you have a problem with and not the <laughs> entire school. <laughs> Wouldn't that be the most logical thing? Yeah, I think so. I mean, I'm no Vulcan. I'm I'm just sa- sitting here in the cheap seats, but, but that seems crazy. Yeah, you should really take logic out of that name altogether. It's what they want to be called, you know? Right. But it's not what they are. It's, it's like alt-right. Yeah, just call them what they are. The clan. <laughs> we have been waiting for someone worthy of our attention. Who are you? We encountered them. Those Klingons. So Lorca gets on the three-dimensional FaceTime with a an admiral that we've seen before, but haven't heard much from, who is Vulcan, and he kind of fills Lorca in on the on the vagaries of Vulcan. Uh, politics. It's weird slash fun to see a Vulcan with no hair because hair is such a big part of their look. To see one who's bald is is very off-putting. This guy looks badass. Yeah. This scene is so interesting to me because we've established that there is a better thing than Starfleet in, in the Vulcan mind, which is Vulcan Expeditionary Force. And this guy is an admiral in Starfleet. So even though he's an admiral... Like even though he has status over Lorca in this world, he he is like a a second string Vulcan, right? He's like a guy who has airline status on on a regional airline, knowing full well that <laughs> what you really want are uh, you want that that Delta. What did they call? Yeah, it? Yeah, you want that Sky Priority. Yeah, you want Sky Priority. That's not what this guy has. This guy has like Piedmont uh, aisle seat <laughs> preference. <laughs> Uh, and so this guy is like, well, you know, it's it's sad what happened to Sarek. You know, he's missing, and uh, we think he's probably going to buy the farm out there, but there's really nothing we can do. Nobody's close enough to go on a rescue mission. And Lorca's like, well, I have a ship that can travel anywhere in mm-hmm. the blink of an eye, so I'll go get him. And he's like, uh, no, <laughs> I'm specifically saying don't. And Lorca's like, all right, well, uh, your connection's breaking up, so gotta go. It's so nice that there's a physical way to break the signal between them. Like, it's it's so much like hanging up a phone when he, when he rips out the cartridge to end the phone call. It's fun. So they jump, and they jump to this nebula that is, like, where 
I guess Sarek was last seen. I feel like they like when when they were booting this show up, Brian Fuller went to the concept artist and was like, "Listen, we've seen nebulas before. I want you guys to come up with a whole new way to think about what a nebula looks like." All right, go. Watch as I drink these two-liter bottles full of different colored food coloring, and then vomit them <laughs> all over this whiteboard. <laughs> I want you to make that. Stamets gets gets briefed on the Katra situation, and this is a. Uh, I, th- I think uh, we get some new canon about how Vulcan telepathy works. Ben, are they traveling around on the spore drive using Stamets? Like, did they make that last jump using Stamets' nips? That's the only thing I can think they would have done. I guess, uh, is he getting better at it? Is that a promotion or a demotion when when you uh, <laughs> when you get put into the spore chamber and those uh, and those nipple clamps lock on and you can't break free and they're made of metal <laughs> and robots are strong. I I don't know. I mean, like I feel like he was kind of getting off on you know having a an image of the entire universe in his mind last episode and that coupled yeah. with some nipple trauma i feel like it could be a really potent combination <laughs> nipple trauma and anything is is a fairly potent combination stamets stamets demonstrates a fairly different side of his personality here uh which seems to be going around on this ship he's uh he's pleasant to the point of annoying about how interested he is in helping He's usually a a recalcitrant asshole who's trying to do his own thing all the time. Right. And, uh, I think mainly it's because he's really turned on by the idea that she's in communication with Sarek over light years of space. Like that that plays right into what he's interested in as a scientist. If there's one guy who knows if something weird is going on with Stamets, it's the doctor, right? Like, if a person changes their personality demonstrably, I think probably the first place it happens is the bedroom, right? Yeah, the doctor doesn't get much to do in this episode. Like, I no. feel like he's a more interesting character than the than the show realizes at this point. Right. Because it's true. A mission is mounted wherein newly promoted security chief Ash Tyler is put in command of a shuttlecraft klaxon 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 and tilly and and michael burnham are uh are taken aboard and tilly is going to monitor like some kind of brain enhancing device while michael burnham tries to use katra technology to figure out where Sarek is in the nebula because the nebula is messing up all their their scanners it's too big of a nebula to do probes, and the scanners don't work. So, uh, option C is Michael Burnham using telepathy. So, this is like five or six times now that people have piled into a shuttlecraft, and uh, it's it's been dangerous and 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 scary for them. So. Yeah, it's not like they need to issue a recall for the vehicle, but maybe just think a little bit more about the missions that involve them. Well, as they as they depart. Uh, Admiral Bob get, comes aboard to rip into Lorca about like, I mean, basically being in, incredibly, uh, incredibly insubordinate when he was when he was on the phone with her colleague in the Admiralty, right? Um, and uh, and yeah, like she's basically caught him like being unfit for command because he's. Uh, he's just like super impulsive. He doesn't care what anybody tells him to do. It's uh... he says something that should be terrifying to her, which is rules are for admirals, not for captains. Yee. <laughs> that uh, his performance review is going to call attention to that bit of wisdom. It is the post best of both worlds scene that. We right. always wanted in TNG, which is like the captain has been through something incredibly traumatic, which is the Klingon prison ship, and uh, it involved torture and and beatings and uh, you know being being terrified, and that 
has an effect on the on the human mind and she's like hey listen i think you may be a little bit uh ptsd about this and like you've been faking the the psych evals to get back in the in the chair yeah she makes the case for a forced leave of absence and then some sort of study which uh i think is is good what is not so good <laughs> is that he throws her off the scent by uh proposing that they drop rank and stop stop talking about uh how he's kind of unfit for duty and get down to drinking and boning <laughs> yeah he really seduces her in a way that didn't seem possible at the outset like she is there to punish him and then uh and then he's like oh yeah i could think of a way for you to punish me <laughs> that does not involve being court-martialed <laughs> so on the shuttle uh burnham is is getting in touch with Sarek, but he's like every time every time she comes into his dream about telling her that she's not going to be in the vulcan expeditionary force he like punches her and it like it like knocks her out of the simulation and um when they when they left uh Lorca gave Ash Tyler a pretty forceful message which was basically if you don't bring Michael Burnham back in one piece don't bother coming back yourself the dude just got promoted to chief of security so like that's a pretty startling position for Lorca to take like i don't think we have seen Lorca place Burnham in his like priority list before but it she seems to be pretty high up in it yeah, and Ash, uh, Ash seems pretty taken aback by this too, but not so much to to resist that order at all. Both in thought and in deed, for the rest of the shuttle mission, he is very much on team survive the mission and get home. When at times it does not look like it could be survivable for Michael. He takes that order sans context, ignoring the axiom that context is for kings, Adam. Right. Right, and then uh, lambs crying, and and butchers' blades, etc., etc. What? 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 What's happening? What's all this? I'm trying to save you. What is this? Burnham has to go back into the sim a bunch of times, but eventually she is able to have like a reasoned conversation with Sarek about what is so traumatic about this memory for her, and like Ash Tyler was like, you know, he's not. This dream isn't about you, man. It's about him. And so she goes back with that in mind, and, and Sarek is, is able to calm down enough to explain that the reason she didn't get into the Vulcan Expeditionary Force is that he cut a political deal to keep a spot open for Spock, who uh, I guess is Michael Burnham's adoptive little brother. Right. This is the scene that makes me think that there's no way Ash Tyler could be Vogue. Unless part of Voke's transformation involves like philosophy classes and stuff, <laughs> yeah, he's he's incredibly uh, he's incredibly empathic, <laughs> right? <laughs> when he's in human form, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I think that uh, I think that it was fun to imply that he was Voke in in the last episode, but uh, I I if 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 he winds up being Voke in the cliffhanger that you have predicted is coming, Adam. I uh, <laughs> I may lose faith in this program. Right. I mean, we've made bets about what we think is going to happen in the future. And to the idea that Voke is, at, is Ash Tyler, I say no fucking way. In these scenes, Ben, uh, we get to meet uh, Amanda Grayson. I was distracted by how much she looked like Amy Adams. She looks like Amy Adams and um, Winona Ryder had like a, a genetic crossover. I guess that's a baby. Really, really great casting. You know, she doesn't have much to do in that little performance, but I was I was impressed by this actress. Yeah, me too. I mean, Amy Adams better watch her back, is what I'm saying. The way this scene ends is with Michael Burnham, like, getting into a... I guess we've we've talked about this a little bit before like is it possible to mind for a human to mind meld with a hu- uh, with a vulcan like to put the fingers on like do humans have that capacity and just don't access it or is there something right 
special about Vulcans in the way there's something special about Betazoids. And, uh, and I don't feel like this scene totally answers that question because it is in, it's in the dream world, but she puts, she puts her Katra into him and we got some dialogue to the effect that the Katra has healing properties. So <laughs> you could say that she Katra pegs him. She's all up in that butt with the Katra and, uh, <laughs> I I think you're right on the whole, like, it's still being ambiguous whether or not she can do this. Because, like, uh, Sirik's hands are on her hands as she does it. So it's hard to tell whether or not, like, he's, it's his hands doing the work, I guess. Yeah. She comes awake in her shuttle and he in his and he in the most overwrought (laughs) attempt to push a button on a screen. Uh (laughs) Pushes a big green button that I guess turns on the transponder in in the shuttlecraft, and uh, and they find him, and uh, they get him back to Star Trek Discovery. Uh, Sirik shuttle finally just asks him for the four digit code. Bosco. <laughs> Meanwhile, in uh, in Lorca's room, uh, Admiral Bob is uh, is like doing that. That thing where you admire your lover while they sleep. Yeah, how about Admiral Bob being being the big spoon? That is the uh, that's the configuration I prefer. I run kind of hot, so I don't want to be the big spoon. That's where all my heat comes out. I we are in total agreement on this point. Uh, team Little Spoon, Ben. Yeah, she's she's like uh, running her hands over his perfectly geometric scars, and uh, and he he does the the thing where he startles awake and has a gun in her chin before he knows where he is or what's going on. She's like, "You're fucking nuts! I'm out of here. You're not captain anymore." And uh, the the conversation is like kind of put on pause when they find out that Sarek is coming aboard. As soon as I get done with my incredibly dangerous mission, you're grounded, mister. This uh, is very obviously a trap, right? That, cause, so because Sarek is out of commission with, with explosion injuries, uh, Admiral Bob is going to take his place in the, uh, in the diplomatic mission he was on, which was to uh, talk to a couple of renegade Klingon houses about maybe... Uh, teaming up against the remaining Klingons. It is ridiculous that they would take this plan at face value. Like, I kind of think maybe Lorca sees this as the trap that it is. I don't know why Admiral Bob doesn't. Like, I don't know why anybody wouldn't, but... Isn't seeing traps one of the main ways you get to be Admiral? You would think. It's a bit of a thin premise, but... uh... Yeah, she goes and and gets gets nabbed by bad Klingons, and uh, and yeah, it's all it's all part of a plan to uh, on Cole's part to get like a, a bargaining chip with Starfleet, I guess. Sure. And Saru, like an overly excited puppy, is like, "Do we get to go get her back? Let's go get her." <laughs> you're you're the guy who doesn't care about orders. And Lorca's like, "Yeah, I think we're gonna wait this one out. We're gonna cool our jets a little bit." Admiral Bob is in this room, and it doesn't take two seconds before, like, six heads hit the floor. My people were biologically determined for one purpose alone, to sense the coming of death. What? To sense the coming of death. This doesn't make any sense. I sense it coming now. None of it makes any sense. Sounds like nonsense to me. Before we talk about the ending too much, I want to talk about this last scene with Ash Tyler and Michael Burnham. Mm-hmm. We get one more shot at the fucking terrible dystopian bleak ass loquacious replicator telling telling her that the tea she's ordered is a uh refreshing treat or whatever and uh ash tyler and michael burnham have a chat and uh and like i think form uh a bit of like a you know we're the weirds on the ship alignment with each other i I mean, I liked the scene for what it was, but why does Michael have such an easier time opening up to Ash than she does with Tilly, who seems like a far safer and known quantity? She can't be sure that Ash isn't going to double-cross her, but I think everyone knows that there's no way Tilly would. Yeah. Maybe uh, maybe she wants to peg him. (laughs) 
That's that long peg game. Yeah, she's she's on a long peg con. <laughs> Did you think when Sarek was in the sick bay that his neck was digitally lengthened? Oh. Uh, I did not notice that. Because we get a scene, too, at the end when they finally get him back aboard the ship and he's all, you know, he has a little bit of a moment with Michael where Michael's like, you know, you know you're my dad, right? Like, dad in quotes, but still dad with a capital D. Yeah. And and he's, like, not really able to process that information in a way that, that feels good to anyone. But in that scene, when he was laying back, he looked like he had an extra, like, three neck vertebrae I don't know. Maybe that was just me. I wonder if that is because we see Vulcans with a ton of shoulder padding. And in this, he's in like a hospital scrub. So it's like... Yeah, they're sort of like ex-football players who who have worn pads for 20 years. And, they, and you get them out of pads and they look weird. Yeah, yeah. Or like me when I take my glasses off. I look squinty. I was going to say, when you take your glasses off, your neck gets super long. You should probably have that checked. <laughs> Well, Ben, did you like this episode? I, uh, most, for the most part, I did. Um, my concerns, uh, I've stated, and I think that the big one is that this, this trap at the end seemed like incredibly facile writing. And then the other one being that they have made the replicator super chatty, and I hate <laughs> that. <laughs> other than that, I guess I'll, uh, I'll give it a, a qualified thumbs up? Hmm. How about yourself? I like the episode. I think this issue with Lorca is becoming increasingly urgent because, like, all the ways that Michael was hated up until now, those are ways that Lorca is acting. And no one seems to be calling him on his shit except Admiral Bob. Saru still worships at his altar, which is strange to me because Lorca is at least as dangerous as Michael and has more power. So there's a little bit of a disconnect to me in terms of how people are treating the command structure on the ship to the degree that there is one. And there very well just may not be. Like, I sort of get the feeling that because this is a ship full of science grads, that maybe they aren't as hip to the military chain of command as a as a battleship would be, you know? Like, and maybe that's how Lorca is able to get away with this stuff. Yeah, it, I, I feel like... Th- the the science people like need to start taking advantage of the edge that they have on Lorca though. Like, right? <laughs> there's a great scene where where Stamets like tries to do the shorthand for some science thing, and Lorca is standing there just like the what? <laughs> <laughs> and I feel like you know that exposes a, a weakness that he potentially has that would be fun to to mess with. You didn't hit my back triangle to explain science to me. <laughs> Adam, do you want to check if we have any Priority One messages? Yeah, it looks like we do, Ben. Priority One message from Starfleet coming in on secured channel. Uh, our first Priority One message is from Claudia. It is for Raz. It goes like this. Happy birthday to my amazing husband. As our son once said, someday I want to be a silly grown-up like Daddy. <laughs> thanks for going along for this ride through life with me i also want to thank all of our new podcast friends you people are truly the nicest people i've ever met thank you even you plavim help me wish raz a happy day hey this this may in fact be the real claudia given yeah how nice she is <laughs> i think we've had fake claudia p1s before and they weren't nearly this nice uh, very sweet. Happy birthday, yeah. Raz. Raz yeah. is one of the greats. Yeah. Uh, from from the amount he drank in Milwaukee, I think we should all be grateful that he's made it this far. <laughs> from the amount that we drank in Milwaukee, I think we should be grateful that we're here to pass this birthday message along, Adam. Yeah. Agreed. Our second P1 is from Valerie, and it's for Violet. It goes like this. Violet, you are a wonderful girlfriend and the best guinea pig mom that little Dax could ask for. Oh, I wonder if that guinea pig has little spots down the side of its head. Hmm? Uh, here's to an exciting and shamefully nerdy 2018. P.S. Awesome pod, guys, and loving Adam Ragusea's music. P.P.S. 
Mabim Bam had a Jumbotron that was only It's Panini. Raz or Plavim, your move. PPPS, I couldn't manage it myself. Please explain, Uxbridge. <laughs> oh, boy. Yeah, we did We did do Uxbridge on a, an episode of Discovery recently. <laughs> Much to the uh, confusion of probably all of our new listeners. Well, new listeners, if I must explain myself, I'm a dowd, a being of surpassing power, very long-lived. <laughs> I appeared in an episode of TNG in which it was revealed that I had made a real doll out of my wife, Rashan. <laughs> a real doll being the only way that I could cope with my act of <laughs> genocide against the Hushnak. <laughs> RSVP the Hushnak, but honestly, I've uh, had the freedom to devote myself to this new line of work ever since they've been gone, and I find it very fulfilling, very interesting work. You could call me the Geppetto of real doll, <laughs> of real doll makers. That's a, that's who Pinocchio's uh, maker is, right? That, yeah, that, that was a good Geppetto joke, Adam. <laughs> well, if you'd like to send a Priority One message, you can go to MaximumFun.org slash Jumbotron. Uh, the personal variety of message is 100 bucks, and the commercial variety is 200 They are a great way to support the production of The Greatest Discovery. Keep the lights on around here. So thank you all. Thanks, guys. Starfleet doesn't fire first. We have to. We have to. Starfleet doesn't fire first. We have to. We have to. What do you think of when you think of male grooming? Maybe it's a sharp haircut and a little bit of product. Or a bit of the old beard wax twisted into the ends of a mustache. Maybe it's a shower, a shave, a little spritz of fragrance. Me? I think of shaving my nuts. And not just my nuts, all around those nuts. I'm talking all around those nuts. And this form of male grooming is hard to do when your junk looks like a log of Play-Doh rolled through a dustpan in a barber shop. It's wrinkly, it's wriggly, nothing stays in place, and it's the one area where you don't want to have an accident. That's why I'm glad we're sponsored by the spring cleaning champions at Manscaped. They sent me their brand new lawnmower 5.0 Ultra, it's their fifth generation trimmer, featuring two interchangeable next-gen skin-safe blade heads, a standard one for taking a little bit off the top, and a new foil blade to go smooth wherever your heart desires. They also sent me an extra-large Manscaped t-shirt, which I will never wear, but it was nice of them to do. Get 20% off and free shipping with the code TREK at manscaped.com. That's 20% off and free shipping with the code TREK at manscaped.com. Nothing like a little spring cleaning in your pants. I have tried so many meal services over the years. After all, I am a podcast host. And I gotta tell you, Factor Meals is my favorite. Why? Because I can go from, what am I gonna have for dinner, to eating a great dinner in exactly two minutes with Factor Meals. And don't sleep on their smoothies either. I got six of these in the box this week. Mango, tropical fruit, strawberry or banana. They're all amazing. They're like meal supplements I can enjoy while I'm on the go. Head to factormeals.com slash trek50 and use the code trek50 to get 50% off. Again, that's the code trek50 at factormeals.com slash trek50 to get 50% off. Back for another game. You know it. What's going on? Just one more week till Max Fun Drive. <laughs> Hard to believe. It's been a heck of a year since the last one. We're now a worker-owned co-op. We raised $50,000 for charity last year. And we've added a bunch of awesome new shows. But do you think we're ready to do it again? Absolutely. Lovely new gifts are lined up. The episodes will be amazing. And wait till everyone hears the bonus content. Yeah, plus they know to go to MaximumFun.org newsletter, so they're getting all the news. Oh, like that meetup day is on Thursday, March 21st. Then what's bothering you? Me? Oh, nothing. We're all set for Max Fun Drive to start on Monday, March 18th. I just didn't want you to see this coming. Check. What? Hang on! 
Most of the plants humans eat are technically grass. Most of the asphalt we drive on is almost a liquid. The formula of WD-40 is San Diego's greatest secret. Zippers were invented by a Swedish immigrant love story. On the podcast Secretly Incredibly Fascinating, we explore this type of amazing stuff. Stuff about ordinary topics like cabbage and batteries and socks. Topics you'd never expect to be the title of the podcast. Secretly Incredibly Fascinating. Find us by searching for the word secretly in your podcast app. And at MaximumFun.org. Hey, Ben. What's that, Adam? Did you find yourself a drunk Shimoda in this Star Trek Discovery episode? Incredible! Drunk Shimoda! Oh boy, I sure did, Adam. I gotta give it to the Admiral. Admiral Bob just, like, completely disappointed me not seeing this obvious-ass trap coming. Yeah. Like, after this episode, anything involving a shuttle needs to be the safest thing in the world, or this show will become extremely self-parodic. Like, right, right. Like, no more shuttle, shuttle danger of any kind. She is clearly very capable and smart to have become an admiral, and there is nothing wrong with fucking an old flame, but... But to do so after accusing him of being mentally unstable, maybe not a great order of operations, you know? Yeah, you got to save the mental stability accusation for after the roll in the hay. But, I mean, it still may be true in the future, as true as it is in the future as it is right now, which is uh, no one fucks like crazy. (laughs) Adam, did you have a drunk Shimoda? Yeah, uh, mine... You're going to hate mine. Mine is the very kind food replicator. Oh, fuck you. I just really, like, I wish I could start my day off with a nice food replicator conversation telling me that I'm making all the right decisions, telling me to have a great day going forward. I mean, most mornings, it's a a coffee and a pastry (laughs) standing over the sink, looking out a window. You know, mm-hmm. just to have a little bit of uh, of encouragement there by a computer or anything else, I think would be real nice. So I think if there's one thing in this episode that's either receiving or giving any kind of joy at all, it's the food replicator. I'm going to actually retroactively change my drunk Shimoda. Uh, it's, not the, it's not Admiral Bob, Adam. It's you <laughs> <laughs> for thinking... For thinking that that wouldn't get old the second you heard it the first time. Like, the second you go back to the replicator for another serving of mac and cheese and it and it scolds you for getting something fatty and carby or, you know, just getting another tea and it makes the exact same compliment, that is the most annoying thing in the world. I hate shit like that. Here's the thing, though. Like, I want to hear it scold someone. If there's something scold-worthy, like if you got, if you got an entire sheet pan of nachos for lunch like i would like to hear <laughs> what the computer said about that but so far it's, great. It's, that was the it's, greatest thing i've ever done adam <laughs> like we have not heard any any nutritional scolding yet and if that were to happen maybe i'll change my mind but for right now uh, i'm enjoying its work <laughs> you're an idiot uh, what do we have coming up on the next episode, Ben? Did you get yourself a preview? Yeah, I did. There was a there was a preview this time. We talked a little bit about it last time. It seemed like about half of our viewers did not get the preview, and the other half did uh, for last episode. And this episode, I'm seeing reports that some people couldn't even stream the episode at all. So it seems like CBS is having some trouble with their vaunted all-access streaming service. Yeah, sort of interesting timing. They they also said today that they have been renewed for a second season, probably to squish all of the bad press that they got over the uh, the app issues they were having last night. I know mine was, was super hiccupy throughout the app. I thought for a while it was just Vermont Wi-Fi, but it turns out it was the app. Yeah, I, I had a, a totally flawless uh, viewing experience last night. And I thought hmm. that the second season news had already come out. I don't know why I thought that, but hmm. um, 
The next episode is season one, episode seven, Magic, to make the sanest man go mad. It seems like this is going to be a, a a classic Star Trek time loop episode. Looked very uh, cause and effecty. Looked like mud was going to be in it, which is a good time, fun time, in my opinion. So, uh, yeah. Boy, is he going to be angry. <laughs> That's why you don't leave your enemies alive, Ben. Yeah, Lorca should not have uh, not have allowed Mud to live. That was his first mistake. Um, I'm also looking at the IMDb here, and I was under the impression that it was eight episodes that we were getting before the break. It looks like it is, in fact, nine episodes that we're going to get before the break. The last oh. episode before uh, the end of the year is going to be on the 12th of November. So hmm. that's exciting. Yeah, a little more than we thought. Yeah. So, and also a little bit more time between now and Cliffhanger, I guess. I think so, too. Like, overall, are you pretty happy with how the show has been and not just on an episode-by-episode basis? Like, you into it at this point, or is it still too early to say? I'm into it. I'd say that, like, maybe my number one criticism of it is I feel like it is edited too fast. Like, they're editing it for, like, putting it on television. Right. You know? Like, this is CBS... Yeah, CBS is a beaver making a beaver dam. Like, they know how to do one thing. Yeah, and it usually involves Tom Selleck. Right. I mean, every episode is 44 minutes and some number of seconds, and I feel like they could let some of these scenes breathe more, and, uh, you know, I, I, I feel like they cut out of things in a way that is really aggressive and sometimes confusing. I think the pace is too fast uh, to be an enjoyable watch in the way that I like. So um, I would say that that's my number one criticism so far. Other other than that, I'm like, I'm enjoying the story. I think the characters are pretty interesting. Still curious to see how many of the things that they have set up get resolved. But uh, I'm with you on the editing part, Ben. I'm, I don't know if you, you're getting this version, but I opted for the commercial free version. Yeah. I would have guessed that they would have opted to edit the show in a way that would be better for the commercial-free audience, but it's not. It's just as jarring to get a non-commercial break as there would be if there were a commercial for Tide or whatever. So, uh, you know, they got some time before uh, before the episodes that start coming out in January come out. So maybe uh, maybe they're all listening carefully to our show and they'll uh, make some make some little tweaks. I'm sure they are. Well, Adam, uh, I guess uh, that's all for today. I'll see you next week, huh? Looking forward to it, pal. The Greatest Discovery is a MaximumFun.org podcast, hosted by Adam Pranica and Benjamin R. Harrison, produced and edited by Rob Schulte, music by Adam Ragusia. Head to MaximumFun.org slash donate to support the ongoing production of this show. Please use the hashtag GreatestGen when discussing the show on Twitter. You can find Ben on there at BenjaminAHR, and Adam is at CutForTime. And make sure to check out the Facebook and Reddit groups to continue the conversation. Why is it, if a man kills another man in battle, it's called heroic? Yet if he kills a man in the heat of passion, it's called murder. Hello! MaximumFun.org Comedy and culture. Artist owned. Listener supported.